Genesis 48, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of people, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, Who are these? May we be blessed by the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. Morning. It is good to be here. If it gets hot, just start fanning, and I'll tell Jared to kick down the AC. So uh, I'm already getting hot, so I'm, I can only imagine it's going to get hotter. Uh, just to, uh, two quick announcements before we pray and get started this morning. Uh, the first is uh, mark your calendars for uh, March the 21st. There's an Easter egg hunt here at the building on Sunday morning at 930. Uh, if you have children or grandchildren, please uh, bring them to that. That's 9.30 before the service uh, begins. And because we are having a Easter egg hunt here at the building, we need, um, we still are taking requ- um, donations for uh, candy. The last day is we've extended it to Wednesday night. So um, if you haven't brought candy, please bring it on uh, Wednesday night. Um, let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into this morning's text. God, we are grateful for your kindness and your goodness to us. I pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning in all that we do. Uh, That we would see you as the author and perfecter of our faith. So lead us now and guide us, I pray. As we look again at your holy and errant word, as we've been studying faithfully through this book, um, the first book that you gave us in all of scripture, which defines so much about what we believe to be true about you, what we believe to be true about our Christian doctrine, and what we believe to be true about us. So again this morning, lead us and guide us and allow us to be faithful to your word. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. As Jared said, we are in Genesis chapter 48. I will look at three things from this text this morning, but just as a small recap, remember Where we're at in the story, we have two chapters left, 49 and 50. So we're coming at the tail end of this uh, patriarch's life, the last patriarch, Jacob's life. Uh, Here in this setting, we'll see Jacob on his deathbed. This morning, we'll look at some uh, reminders that he is giving to his son and his grandchildren. And then next week, we'll look at the blessings that he pours out over his sons. 
But Jacob, as you remember, God had been reminding him of his faithfulness. God had been reminding him of his promises. And that God would bring him to see his young son, Joseph, who he thought was murdered um, years and years ago. And he had sorrowed for the loss of his son. And he had asked God to see him. God grants him that wish. And now here they are, those 70-some people that God had taken out of the promised land into uh, the land of slavery to prepare uh, for us the rest of uh, the Pentateuch, the rest of the story of how God was going to really shape his people. If you've ever wondered how did the Israelites get into bondage and slavery, it comes right here in this passage. This is how we see that God would use this momentum to bring his people into slavery for four hundred years. But here we are in chapter 48. We're at Jacob's deathbed. But in preparing for this message, I I thought to myself, these are some of the last words that Jacob will ever speak to his sons and his grandchildren. So this is, in essence, his last will, his last testimony. And so this is what a last will and testimony is. A last will and testimony or testament is a legal document that communicates a person's final wishes pertaining to his assets, to his dependents. So here's his last kind of charge to his children and to his grandchildren. It's amazing of all the things that he could say, this is what he says, of all the things that he could leave them. Uh, Maybe you are in that place. You have an elderly mother or father that you are anticipating that moment of their last will and testament. I'm thinking, what what will it be? What is my inheritance? And so, of all the things that Jacob could leave his children and his grandchildren, he doesn't talk about his stuff. He doesn't talk about his possession. He doesn't talk about his flocks. He doesn't talk about all that he's gained over the years. But what he's going to leave them is three things. He's going to leave them remembering the presence and the promises of God. And then he's going to leave them with remembering the character of God. And lastly, he's going to remind them again of the promise in the presence of God. So let's look at here Jacob's last words to his son and to his grand his grandson. Verses one through one and two say this, and after Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill, he took with him his two sons, Manassas and Ephraim, and took them and told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you in Israel. Or Jacob summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And so here, here we see as Jacob's on his final days, maybe even his final hours. This is the first time in all of Scripture that we are told that someone is ill or sick. It's the first time we see that someone in their illness and their sickness summons some strength to sit up and say something, which would lead us, the readers, say, we need to take note of that. If you've ever been in a hospital room or in a room with hospice and that that person that's lying there dying summons enough strength to say something, you kind of tune in, right? You kind of like, okay, like this could be their last words. And so all ears are super attentive. 
And so we see Jacob rise with the last bit of strength to muster his weak voice to say something to his sons. And what does he say to them? He says two things. First, he wants to remind them of the presence of God. And it says this, Jacob or Israel said to Joseph in the presence of his two sons, remember those two sons were born to him in Egypt, so they were half Egyptian and half Israelite. And so what would happen would be in this moment, Jacob is saying and Joseph is going to say to Jacob, no longer will they be part of the Egyptian culture, they will be Israelite. They will be part of the chosen nation. In that moment, he's forsaking their Egyptian heritage. We'll see that Jacob will be okay with that and then say to him in this passage that he will adopt them as his own children. But in the presence of those three men that day, he says this. He wants to remind them of the presence of God. He says this, God Almighty appeared to me at Luke in the land of Canaan or the promised land and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you a faith, a fruitful and I will make you fruitful and multiply and you make you a company of people. And I will give you this land to your offspring and after you for an everlasting possession. The first thing we see is he reminds them of God's presence was always with them. He says, God Almighty appeared to me. Remember, there's two times that God had appeared to Jacob and Luke. The first appearance, if you remember, was back in chapter 28. Back in chapter 28, remember that Jacob had deceived his father and tricked his brother into taking the birthright or the inheritance. And so he's fleeing for his life. And he's in that moment of of fleeing again from his father-in-law, and and God appears to him. And in the moment of his appearance, he he has this moment with these angels that come and share a vision with him. So he's reminded of God's presence, even in spite of what he had done. God did not appear to him because he was a righteous man or a good man or a kind man. God appeared to him because God had promised to be with him. So God, we can be reminded that God will be with us in spite of anything that we do, not because of us, because of who God is. That's the first place that he had appeared to him when he's running for his life. The second appearance is at the same place. This is when he had uh, been gone for those 24 years. And God appeared to him again. And so what Jacob is saying to his son and to his grandson is, we've got to remember that the presence of God is always with us. I wonder, church, for us this morning, wherever you're at, are you reminded of the presence of God? If there's anything that you could leave with your children or your grandchildren, would you not want to leave them with reminding them that how God was present with you? You see, we're living and growing up in a culture that doesn't believe or see or trust God. And their inclination, our generation behind us, they're not going to be inclined to open the Bible to see that. What they're going to be inclined to do is sit at your feet and listen to your stories of how you have been in the presence of God. And so I wonder this morning, for all of us in the room, on our deathbed, could we Be reminded time after time after time as you tell your children, your grandchildren, 
how you were in the presence of God and God was in your presence. You see, we've got to encourage the next generation, but we must encourage them with the presence of God in in a godless culture. We, the people of God, hold the presence of God with us. My greatest fear, though, is that we have not spent time with God. We have not spent time in his presence, so therefore we, couldn't, we have nothing to share with those coming behind us. That is why it's so important for us to arise in the morning or before you go to bed and sit at the feet of Jesus so you can say, I've been in the presence of the Lord. Remember what happened to Moses when he was in the presence of the Lord. His face shined so brightly he had to wear a veil. I wonder for us, church, have we spent enough time with the Lord that our faces shine so brightly? Are we like just that dim light that's about to go out? We must spend time in the presence of the Lord. Because that will lead to the next thing. When we spend time in the presence of the Lord, we will be reminded of what his promises. And he says, I spent time with God. I was in his presence. And when I was in his presence, I remember what he said to me. Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and make you into a company of people and will give you this land to to your offspring after you from an everlasting possession. Remember where Jacob is telling him the promise. It's not in the promised land. It's in slavery. It's in bondage. When the people of God would have heard this, They would have been in bondage. When Moses was writing, after he wrote this, he was reminding them, hey, remember the presence of God and remember his promises. He promised to give us something. He promised to do something in us. And yet again, I'd ask you this question. Have you spent enough time with God to know all the promises he's made to you? You see, I think we get angry with God. And I I think we want to turn our back on God because we don't think he remembers us. And therefore, he doesn't remember his promises. No, we've seen throughout the text for 48 chapters, God has always been what? Faithful to his promises. But the question we must ask ourselves, have we been faithful to him? Without us being faithful to him, we'll never see his promises. His promises do not hinge on our faithfulness. They hinge on his faithfulness. But I wonder if so many of us, myself included this morning, have we not seen the promises of God be fulfilled in our life because we have not sat in his presence? And then he says to them, after remembering the, the presence of God and the promises of God, he then adopts these two young men into his family. There's this adoption moment. For the sake of time, I, I won't explain it all, but he says to Ephraim and to Manasseh, hey, these two are going to be mine. Joseph, these two boys are, are going to be my boys, and all the boys after yours will be yours, but these two are mine. I, I'm going to take them, and I'm going to give all of my blessings onto them. And then there's this moment that happens, and we'll see later on in the text. Again, God's ways are not our ways. These two boys stand before the patriarch, and the patriarch reaches out his hand to bless these two boys. And in 
blessing these two boys, he crosses his hand over, and what does he do? Yet again, we see that the younger will receive the greater blessing than the older brother. Time and time and time again in the story. Well, I'm sure that Joseph had heard all the places throughout history where the older got duped by the younger, and the the younger brother was considered the blessing and all the trauma that came with that, all the tragedy that came with that. We see Joseph kind of rise up and say to his father, hey, hey, you've got it wrong. And Jacob says, no, no, I know what I know. I see what I see. This is what God has for me. This is what God has for them, and this is what God has for you. He's saying, in essence, God's ways are not our ways. God's plans are not our plans. They're better than that. But in doing this blessing, he says to Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, he remembers the character of God. We can see this in verse 14. Let's turn down to verse 14. And Israel, or Jacob, stretched out his hand, his right hand, and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger in the left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands. And he blessed Joseph. And said to Joseph, he gives him him three reminders of the character of God. The three characters are this, we'll, we'll see in verses 15 and 16. The God before me, who my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all of my life, long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. In them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. The three reminders of the character of God in this passage are this. The first one is this. He reminds them of God's what? Faithfulness. He says in the first line, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. God was faithful to walk with them. I think so often we forget the character of faithfulness in God because of our circumstances. How how many of us have ever said, where is God in this moment? Am I the only one? Okay, a handful of us. Like my circumstances start defining my reality. right? And, And I'll go to God and I'll question God. I'll question God about his faithfulness to me. But here, Jacob is saying, I must remember the faithfulness of God, the steadfastness of God. My circumstances do not define my reality, but God defines my reality. But I must remember the character of God. Are you experiencing the faithfulness of God this morning? In the midst of your cancer, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your story, in the midst of your trauma, in the midst of all that's going on in your life, are you experiencing the faithfulness of God? Because God made us a promise that he'd be faithful to us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He is faithful to his promise. So not only is the character of God, we can see his faithfulness, but we also see that he is a shepherd. This is the first moment in all of Scripture that we see God being referred to as a shepherd. A shepherd, as you know, would care for what? Sheep. 
We've said this from this pulpit many times. Sheep are dumb animals. Sheep wander. Sheep go on their own way. Sheep do their own thing. But we see throughout Scripture, I believe there's over 48 times in the Scriptures that God is referred to as a shepherd. And all the times in the, in the Word of God, when it comes to God being a shepherd, it is God leading His people. It's God caring for His people. It is God's tenderness to His people. We know the most famous, and we can turn there for just a moment. Two, two places we'll turn. Let's turn first to Psalm chapter 23. This is David being reminded. And I think in some ways he's reminded of this passage when he pins these words in Psalm 23. He says this. This is what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning that the Lord is our shepherd, he gives us everything that we need. No need will be held from us. How come? Because God is our shepherd. It says he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's saying, look at all that God does when it's good. The green pastures, the still waters, the paths of righteousness. But then the psalmist pens these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Even in spite of my circumstances, as dark as they get, we can be reminded that God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, your rod and your staff, because you're with me, you comfort me. And then he says this, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can be reminded as what Jesus says in John 10. Not only is he a shepherd, but there's an adjective that goes in front of that. He's a good shepherd. He's a kind shepherd. He's a shepherd full of mercy that we can trust and depend on and believe in. Yes, there'll be correction. Yes, there'll be rebuke. That's because of his goodness to us. He does not want us to wander too far from the fold. So we see in this passage first that he is faithful. We see next that he is the shepherd. That he's caring for his flock. And then back in, let's go back to chapter 49. Verse 16. This is the first place in the Bible that is for God is referred to as the Redeemer. He says this. He says, the angel, remember that's who came to him in his visions. The angel or the angel of the Lord or God himself, he has redeemed me from all evil. Chapter 48, verse 16. And so God is our Redeemer. The word redeemer means this, that someone had to pay the price to buy us back. That, that because of our sinfulness, we're separated from God. And because of that sinfulness of God, we are slaves to someone else. 
We're slaves to our sin. We're slaves to Satan. And so we need a redeemer to, to buy us back. We know the great redeemer is Christ himself. This is some 3,000 years before Christ would ever show up on the scene. But Jacob is reminded that God is a redeemer. He's reminded of his own sinfulness. He's reminded in this moment as he pins these, as he shares these words with his son and his grandsons of all of his own wickedness. And he says in that passage, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, everything I've done, God has redeemed me from it. That is true for us today, church. Thank God we have a God who's faithful. Thank God we have a God that's a shepherd. But oh, thank God we have a God who redeems. I believe out of all the characters in this passage, the one that matters the most is he's the redeemer. Thank God for his faithfulness. Thank God that he's a shepherd. But man, if we did not have a redeemer, we would still go to hell, even with a shepherd and God's faithfulness. We need a redeemer, church. And it's true about all of us in the room. All of us can say what Jacob said that day on his deathbed. He has redeemed me from all of the evil. There is nothing, church, that you or I have done that cannot be redeemed by the blood of Christ Jesus. Amen? There's nothing that anyone on this planet cannot be redeemed from. But we must cry out to them that they would need a redeemer who is the shepherd and who is faithful to himself. And so he says, let us be reminded of the character of God, his faithfulness. He is the shepherd and he is the redeemer. But then in the last two verses, he says, not only are you remembering this, but I want to go back and kind of book end it with remembering the presence and the promises of God again. He's passing it on to the next generation. And he's saying to the next generation, this, these promises just weren't for me. Like he could have been on his deathbed and said, hey, God made me, me these promises. And these promises have come true for me. But now he says, now you must be reminded to remember, these promises are not just for me, but they're for you and for your sons and your sons and your sons and your sons. And he says to them in verse 21, and then Jacob or Israel said to Joseph in the presence of his grandchildren, behold, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of our fathers. So church, we must be reminded of these things for ourselves. But these reminders are not for ourselves and ourselves alone. We are to be reminded of God's presence. We are to be reminded of God's promises. And we are to be reminded of the character of God, not just for ourselves, but for the future generations that come around us. And so we can with assurance say to them, as God was with me, God will be with you. I believe no other time in history do children need to be reminded of that promise. Again, I said it to start the message. I'll say it to end this message. We live in a godless culture, which is so terrifying. 
our children are seeing and hearing things every day in the schools that we never heard about. And, and they're getting pushed farther and farther and farther away from what? God's presence, God's character, and God's constant reminder of who he is. I, I mean, I know I'm not in the youngest man in the room or the wisest man in the room, but I do remember when we'd start our day off in prayer in school. I am old enough to remember that. And poor Tennyson and Cedar and your children, your grandchildren, can't utter the words of God without getting stoned to death. They can say anything else they want, but man, you talk about God in school? You talk about God in your workplace? And so, church, we must remind the generation coming behind us that God has been with us and God will be with them. And God's promises have been true for us and God's promises will be true for them. And that God is faithful. And that God is a shepherd. But most importantly, God is a redeemer. There's over 800 children about two and a half miles from here that meet every Monday through Friday. It's called the elementary school. My prayer is that we would begin to pray for that elementary school, for the teachers, for the principals, for the aides, that those people that are in contact with our students, our children, would be believers and somehow, in their creative way, remind them of the presence of God, the promises of God, and the character of God. More than anything they learn about English, science, math, that they would hold the truths of God for those students. Because without those students, we are heading in the wrong direction. And so this morning, I would ask us in closing this question. Are you in the presence of God daily? same way that Jacob said, I remember God being with me. Are you in the presence of God? Are you reminded of the promises of God? And do you know the character of God this morning? And will you use your voice to make that known to the generation coming behind you? Let me pray. God, have we seen throughout this book of Genesis, over and over again, we see these three things. Your presence, your promises, and your character. Oh God, I pray that we just wouldn't see it with our eyes in black and white text. But oh, our hearts would see it, would live it, and would believe it. That we would leave here remembering your presence with us, remembering your promises, and being secure in your character. And then, God, you'd give us a voice to a lost world to remind them of those things as well. Lead us, guide us, continue to give us great hope. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise for the benediction this morning.
And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And the great promise, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Grace and peace be with you this morning. Amen.